Welcome to the City Point Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at citypoint.tv or our Facebook page, City Point Church. My plan today is to go a little bit further and we're going to start something next week that uh, is going to lead us into and up to Easter and uh, the resurrection. But um, I've been on this subject of the unshakable kingdom and um, I want to go uh, a little further. There, you, I could preach uh, all this next year and never exhaust everything and all the things that I believe are uh, important to us in this. So um, I don't pretend to have done it justice. But you see that it that it is um, it is the. It is, some, it is the message that I have, uh, that it's just burning in me. And, um, and, the, and the overall importance of it, I think, is going to be more and more clear as the days move forward. Uh, there's, in other words, there's going to become a, gr- a very obvious difference between the kingdom, what is of the kingdom, and what is not of the kingdom. We've been somewhat confused because we, we tend to equate everything about church with the kingdom, but not everything in the church is, is kingdom. Okay, let's move on here. So, uh, you know, uh, because you can see that, you know, how do we know what's kingdom? Well, in Hebrews 12, 28, it says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, we know everything that can't be shaken is built solidly on the kingdom. And there's a lot in the church and the church world that is shaking. Entire denominations are shaking. Uh, and, I mean, that have been here for centuries. Entire systems of, of men that have been built around um, the, the religion of Christianity are shaking. You know, I, 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 and this is where Hebrews 12, 28 comes in. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, so I, my, my challenge to you and to me is that we find the kingdom so we won't be shaken. Everything in the world, everything in your world that is not built on the kingdom will be shaken. Jesus told a parable about a wise man and a foolish man. He said the wise man built his, his house on the foundation of the rock of the kingdom. And then the rain came and the winds blew and, and, the, and the waters uh, came against it, but it stood. Then he says the fool built his house on the sand. And when the same storms came, his house fell. And so the, what's the difference? He built both houses were probably built out of the same materials with the same skill level, but one was built on the foundation of the kingdom, one was built on the foundations of this world, which will always be shaken. So I think as we get into that, we understand that Hebrews 12, 28 is so important, right? That we build on the kingdom. Say amen. Amen. And so that's kind of where I've been and been all around this because it's possible, you know, that you can you can build your life on, you can spend your life thinking that you're, you're doing the right thing only to find out that you were doing the right thing the wrong way, for example. 
And so I'm, I'm trying to help us. I really am. I, I know last week it got a little tight, but my thinking there is if it's tight, it's right. So that's how Jesus did it. And I was, and I, I'm not a poet, and believe me. But, but that's why we know in Hebrews 13, it says Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I was sitting down yesterday, which getting, uh, getting ready, and I've just jotted a few thoughts down that I want to throw in here at the beginning, and then get on to where we're going today. And it was the difference between the kingdom and everything that is religious that is not of the kingdom, and every religion that is not of the kingdom. Even if it's a so-called Christian religion, if it has no kingdom basis, then I want to show you the difference between religion and the kingdom. Because a lot of people think Jesus came to introduce a different religion or a new religion. Jesus didn't come to introduce a new religion. Jesus came as the king to introduce a kingdom. That's very important you understand that the fundamental understanding of the kingdom is that there's a king and the king has a kingdom. And so we have to, we, we have to delineate then the difference between what is just religion because there are religions that have billions or, well, yeah, some of them have a billion plus um, uh, adherents. So it's, it's not measured just by size. There are some that are in the hundreds of millions, religions. There's, there are different veins of different religions, you know, that all, have, that all have a different emphasis. You have the Muslim religion, the Hindu religion. You have, uh, you have uh, atheist is, atheism is a religion. See, the word religion is defined as a religious system of beliefs. In other words, you believe it religiously. Atheists believe in their belief system religiously. Come on now. And so you have all these religious systems, and you, you, can, have a, you can have a religious system that's built around so-called Christianity, but it doesn't mean that it has anything to do with the kingdom of God, too. So I wrote this down. I just drew a line down a paper. I don't usually, you know, I don't, I, I, you know, this is how, I, I mean, when I'm studying and, and in the, you know, just in the flow of that, I start, I just make notes and I keep note, I keep legal pads and I drew a line down this paper and then I, I wrote religion on one side and I wrote kingdom on the other. Now listen to this. Because I, I want you to help, I want to help you understand why this, I'm so passionate about this. So on the side of religion, I want to I, I start by saying religion serves as a substitute for men's need. In other words, religion says, we're going to meet your need. But the kingdom points you to Jesus. The church is not here to meet your need. The kingdom-minded church is here to point you to Jesus who can meet your need. Religion is a preoccupation with yourself. In religion, it's all about you. 
in the kingdom, it's a preoccupation with Jesus Christ. Well, come on. This is good preaching right here. Because you see so much of religion, I don't care where it comes from, if, it's all, if it all has a preoccupation with self, then what it's going to hold out to you is that somehow by yourself you will get to the answer to your need. But, but, but Jesus came preaching the kingdom and saying, if you'll, just get, if you'll just get your heart set on me, I'm the one who will meet your need. And we go, well, how, do you, how does that happen? Well, he told us, he said, seek first the kingdom of God, and then all your needs are going to be taken care of. But religion says, put your needs all out in front. Religion is the emphasis on what a man does. Every religion has its rules and regulations and adherences and stipulations and qualifications and here's what you have to do in order to earn blessing in heaven and here's what you get to do in order to receive if you are good at adherence to the rules but the kingdom teaches a total dependence on not what you do but on what Christ has already done and that the way to, the way to God is to put your dependence on him because it's in Christ and his finished work that all of my need is taken care of in him. Because this is, it's Jesus and Jesus alone. In Christ alone, that's where I stand. Christ alone. I'm trying to think of that song, but the words are escaping me. I'm, I'm not good with words. I make up my own usually. <laughs> you know, in Christ alone, that's where we stand. We stand on Christ alone. It's not, it's not, and see, here's the problem in the Christian religion is a lot of Christians have said, well, yeah, it's Christ, but, and it's your but that's going to get you in trouble. <laughs> Moving right along. Religion focuses on the hereafter and heaven because that's how they dangle it out. Everything is out there and it's in the hereafter. And, and of course, you, you, you just muddle through this. And, and if you muddle through this, all of it is out there. But Jesus taught in the kingdom of God that the focus isn't the hereafter. It's here and now that I'm going to bring heaven to you. That the ultimate walk of the believer is that I'm not, I'm not just waiting to get to heaven, but that heaven is coming to me day by day. Religion is man's attempt to reach God. Because that's what religion has to do. It has to teach you what hoops you have to jump through and what loops you have to make and what turns and everything you have to do in order for you to reach God. But the kingdom of God is not how I reach God. The kingdom of God is how God reached me. It was like Paul was saying this morning. It's that when I was unlovable, he came to me. When I was unteachable, he came to me. When I was unhelpable, he came to me. When I was unable, he came to me. 
And see, religion is, well, you know, if you just, you do this, this, and this, and, and then on top of that, now you also got to do this, and, and oh, wait, well, don't forget, you got this too. And by the time you get done, God is so unreachable. But I got good news for the kingdom people, the people who understand what I'm talking about this morning, that it's not how you had to reach to God, and it's not the loops I had to jump through and hoops I had to jump out of and everything else I had to do. It's how God came to me. It's how God unveiled to me his will. And man, if you just open your heart to what God has already done, you'll realize you didn't seek him. He sought you. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And then on the basis of that choice, something wakes up on the inside of you and says, man, I'm going to run hard after God. And, and then you can't get proud about that because you realize the only reason I'm running hard after God is because God came running hard after me. Come on. Religion promises that it's going to take care of all your needs. That's what religion promises. Kingdom promises that if you put God's need first, that if you put God's need, what does God have need of? See, God has need of you. See, God has everything but you. And so what he, but, but God isn't looking for slaves. He's looking for sons, daughters. Ladies, stay with me because I love you ladies. When I say sons, I'm not being sexist. You know, see, if I can be the bride, you can be a son. Get over it. And so God's looking for a way to, and this is why Jesus said, if you just seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things will be added to you. What God's saying is if you, if you put my need, you know, this is, how we, this is how we really strike gold in prayer. Because so many, so many religious people pray to get their needs met. I was praying the other day, and man, I was pouring out because, you know, we pray for people. We have this crazy noon prayer meeting on Facebook. I don't know too many things like it. Prophecy and words of knowledge and anointing and people are getting blessed and people are getting touched by God. We're getting testimonies of God, God touching people. And I, and I realized in the last week I was, pray, I was, I was in prayer over the, our prayer. And... and um, and when I got done, I, I, I heard the Lord say to me, he said, now, Mike, could we pray about what I need? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> what, do you, what do you need, Lord? What do you need? I need a straight path for my feet. There's lots of hindrances there's lots of things that are blocking me from my will being done. I need somebody to stand in the gap and prophesy. 
my, my valley is filled with dead, dry bones. I need to, the wind of God to begin to blow, to raise up new life. I need, I need somebody to stand and prophesy my heart and my will and my desire for the nations. And so that's the kingdom in its expression because then the kingdom heart goes after God, what do you want? What do you need? In other words, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that good? And man, then you start praying with a whole different authority and a whole different backing because you realize you're praying on behalf of someone. I'm not praying on behalf of some weak, helpless God who, 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 who is inept and, and, and in, unable to do something, I'm praying on behalf of the Lord of the universe. And so that, that leads me to where I want to I get to, and you should take a few notes here because I'm going to go until, oh, I'm going to go until at least one o'clock since we're going to stay here and eat. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, just, did you hear that thud? Here's what I want you, I want you to write some of this down because you need to go back. There's no way I can, again, I can do all of this, all the justice, but I, I want to give you kind of a, I, I want to give you a basic 101 on, on the Jesus that you need to know. See, I, I think for some of us, we've, we have kind of painted a Jesus that's different from the one that the Bible paints. Like we have painted a Jesus like Jesus like is dejected and and Jesus is lonely, and Jesus is hurting, and Jesus is, uh, Jesus is just powerless, you know. And, and so we paint a picture, oh, come on, let Jesus in. He's outside, and he's knocking on your heart. And, and yeah, Well, I know that picture. I know that word picture. And actually, that's not the standing at the heart of a sinner. He's standing at the door of his church. So let's keep it real. <laughs> and so, and I, I just want to tell you something. I want to paint you the picture. Can I, can I take a minute here and paint you the biblical picture of Jesus? The ones the first century church knew. The, the gospel that the first century, uh, uh, because the primary, the primary word used in the New Testament for Jesus that represented who he really was as the king of the kingdom was the word Lord. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, I mean, we could go through hundreds of verses in the New Testament. Uh, throughout the parables, Jesus you know, likened and represented the Lord of the harvest. You with me? Um, who, why call ye me Lord? So that word Lord is used hundreds of times in the New Testament. And We've kind of like lost the idea of this because, see, they understood in their culture and in the context of their daily life, they understood the concept of lordship. We, we don't live under a, a kingdom kind of uh, mindset or our culture has done away with, with the, the monarchy and the, and, the, and the verbiage that's used for, for, for these kind of things. So I want to introduce you to to simply just what, what it is and, and, and the word Lord. So this is, this is from the, 
Greek dictionary of New Testament words. The word Lord means maximum authority. You with me? It means the owner of all. So like Jesus isn't just the, the landlord in that sense that he's just, you know, uh, overseeing it. He owns it. So it means the first one, the one of ultimate priority. He is first. It comes from the Greek word kyrios, the supreme authority, the master. So when the disciples used that word with Jesus, they, they, were, they were acknowledging him in his supreme authority. They were acknowledging him in his, in his, uh, in his mastery. In that day, the word kurios, when it was used with a small letter, was how, how uh, slaves addressed their masters. Uh, Lord, what would you like me to do? I mean, it was just, that was the common cultural uh, word used. Uh, Lord, I've done my chores, and is there anything else? And he, he, it was just a, 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 an acknowledgement of his master's mastery. Now in that culture too, when they capitalized the word curios, it stood for one man in the Roman culture of Jesus' day. Because remember, Jesus was born into, into, in, as a Jew, but into uh, Roman rule. Rome ruled the world at that time. Rome ruled the world, and Rome had appointed what were called tetras, uh, like Herod. Herod was the tetra over Jerusalem. In other words, Caesar never left Rome, but when Rome would conquer a nation, they, had, they did something different than other cultures had done. Now follow me here. Under other older ancient cultures, when they would conquer a nation, they would take the people captive and bring them back to their nation. For example, Babylon. When Babylon conquered the, the Israel and Jerusalem, remember what they did? They took the best of the young men, the best of the people, the, the wisest, the best trained, the, the skilled people, the leaders, the people, they took, they took those people and they took them to Babylon. What was, the, what was the idea of that? The idea was they were going to remake re them. You with me? So like, remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? So those were, those were names given to them by Babylon to replace their Hebrew name because it was a way for them to remove them from their identity. Daniel's name was Belteshazzar, I think is how you say it. 
They renamed Daniel. We know Daniel was taken captive, and we read of Daniel's experience and Daniel going to the lion's den because he refused to, to submit to the, to the rule, the law of the king, and they threw him into a lion's den as he was set for a trap because he was not being assimilated into the Babylonian culture. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got thrown into the fire because they would not assimilate into the Babylonian culture. Are you with me? They were in Babylon, but they refused to bow when the trumpet sounded and pray to a God that was a, a false God, an idol. They refused, and they took their stand, and then they faced the consequences, and they said, be it known unto you, king, that we're not going to bow to your, your God. And whether he delivers us or not, know this, that if we go down, we're going down because we're not going to bend to your false idol. And they took him and bound him and threw him into the furnace, and look what happened. God showed up. They, they go, hey, what's going on in there? They look, and they go, well, didn't we throw three men in there? Yeah, but I see four, and the fourth is likened to the Son of God. Who is that Son of God? He isn't just some weak, pathetic leader. He is the Lord of lords. He is greater than Babylon. He is greater than any man, any king. And he says, I see four, and they're loose, and they're walking, and they walk right out of the fire, because when you make your stand for God, God will always make his stand for you. So get this. This is what the empires would do until, until Rome came along. Now, this is an interesting thing because when Rome came along, they decided we're not going to take all the best of the people, the leaders, the kings, all their families, and haul them to Rome. We're going to send, get this, this is really cool. This is, why G, this is why when the Bible, you say, you know, why did Jesus come at that particular time? And the Bible says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. This is because this was the first uh, earthly realm that reflected what was, going to, what was going on in the kingdom of God. Get this, when Caesar would march into Jerusalem, he sent a tetra. Herod was his name. And Herod brought with him the chief um, admiral of the Roman guard and in the in the language of the day do you know what the you know what the chief admiral the word for that was apostolon he was an apostle sent into a territory for the purpose of colonization of that territory. The apostolon would then begin to gather with the city rulers and he would begin to give them the Roman culture and in what we would call discipling them and that body of elders that oversaw were, was called the ecclesia, 
where we get our word for the church. Are you with me? Feel like I, I feel like I lost some of you right there. You're saying, well, what, 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 why, what, what, are you, what are you going there for? Because listen to this. So what Rome did, then they sent with the chief army engineers, skilled, gifted people, and their job was to take whatever region they were in, and they would begin to build the architecture, the buildings, the structures that would uh, replicate what Rome looked like. This is why you would see the Roman culture and the influence around the world. You, you, You go outside of Rome and you travel around these places that the Roman people had conquered, and you see Colosseums, and you see, you see these structures with the pillars and the Roman inscription, and because they were, they were taking the culture of Rome, and they were bringing it into the culture of that territory until that territory looked like Rome duplicated. And the church is here to reflect the kingdom of God. So when the church shows up in a city that the building of God begins, and when the church is done, what is left should reflect the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And if you're not, you're just playing church. That's some good preaching right there. But see, we've, we've concocted it like, you know, the church is here. You know, we're here to, we're here to protect what belongs to us. And we're going to hide behind our little names and our buildings and hide behind our structures. And we're never going to get out there because, ooh, the boogeyman's out there. And so, when this is what got the church in trouble in the time of Rome, is when, when Roman citizens, because see, here, listen to me, once Rome marched into Jerusalem, everybody became a Roman citizen. Come on, somebody. You say, Pastor Mike, how did that work? Because you had all these Jews in Jerusalem who were, who were uh, faithful to the temple and faithful to the, to the Judaism and the uh, Israel and its history and its, all, of its, all of that. You, you notice what Rome did? They, know you, you, they, know, they knew they couldn't beat them. You know that old saying, if you can't beat them? Some of you say, well, you know what, how, how come it is we don't see the devil, we don't see the devil like that coming out and coming against us because you ain't doing anything. Here's the thing, if you don't run into the devil on a regular basis, chances are you and him are walking in the same direction. I'm going to stay nice. So here's what would happen. You walk down the streets of Jerusalem, Rome, anywhere Rome was, was in control, any, which they, had, they conquered the whole known, they conquered the entire known world at the time. 
And you'd walk down the street, and here was the, here was the greeting that as the cultural greeting, it was burned into their psyche and their consciousness, and they would walk up to a Roman, and they would say, Caesar is Lord. That was the greeting. Caesar is Lord. Caesar, Caesar, the guy sitting in the seat at Rome, is maximum authority. He's master. He's the owner of all. That's why, too, like when it came to the Caesar, if, if you say, well, you know, I own me a little piece of property right over here on the corner uh, 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 in Jerusalem. And once Rome marched in, can I just tell you something? You didn't own it anymore. That temple that was built on the mount that the, that the Jews worshipped. You see, it was interesting, wasn't it? They, they didn't really worship God, but they worshipped a building. <laughs> and Jesus walked into that building one day and he said, you know, three, there's going to come a day and not one stone is going to be left on top of another here. He was prophesying. You say, well, how did, well, well what do you mean? Because in 70 AD, Rome got tired of, of messing with Israel and they completely demolished the temple, did not leave one stone on top of another and completely leveled the city. And the Jews went on and, uh, what do you call it, were they just scattered? Yes, they were, yes. You with me? And so this, and so here's the problem though. The Christians knew they were part of a different kingdom and they had a different Lord and they weren't ashamed or afraid to admit it. So when they, when they walk up and they go, hey, Caesar's Lord, these Christians who, man, God, God loved Christians, especially the crazy ones, especially the ones who nobody's told them yet that Jesus isn't Lord. Nobody's tried to reason and calm them down and say, you better be careful. You're going to get yourself in trouble. You need to kind of go low key here. And they'd walk up and say, hey, Caesar is Lord. And the Christians would say, Jesus is Lord. Why do you think Caesar and all of the uh, Diocletian, and when you read history, the, after the, those who succeeded Caesar, Diocletian was one of the worst. If you ever have read uh, Fox's book of martyrs, read it. It's an old book. It's amazing. And, and, you know, because Rome was tolerant of every religion. Yeah, yeah Rome was tolerant of every religion. But the thing they weren't tolerant of is that Caesar could have no equal. This is what's going down right now in our country. I want to tell you something. Jesus is Lord. The United States and the United States government is not here to meet my need. I don't need the United States of America for my future and my welfare and my security and my safety. I'm not being, I'm not being anti-USA, but when I got born again, I got translated out of one kingdom and into another, and Jesus is my Lord. He is my source. I'm a citizen of heaven. I walk according to 
to his rule, his reign, his authority. That's why when the United States says you can't do that and it's against God, I'll take the position of Shadrach, Meshach, and a little Bendigo, and I will say you can say what you want, you can do what you want, but I'm walking in obedience to God. So, you know, I just keep, I think we should just keep walking around saying Jesus is Lord. Drive the liberals nuts. And do you notice? We're tolerant of everything in this country except believers who know Jesus is Lord. Who stand for what he stands for. Who believes in what he stands for. And so this is the, this is the challenge that we're standing in in this day and in this time because there's a lot of religious people. And unfortunately, there's a, a, religion has been the cause of 90% of our world's problems. And Christianity has been right in the middle of a lot of it. It's time we realize that we are the solution, not the problem. It's time we live from another realm and walk to another king's uh, dominion and realize that the, the world is dying for what's on the inside of us. And we should be, we should be like, we should be declaring it. Jesus is Lord. Oh my, what's going to happen? 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 I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Jesus has taken back everything that man lost in the garden. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can just imagine what they're doing. I, let me go on. Here's what it means for Jesus to be Lord. He is the owner. According to Matthew 21, he tells the parable. The, the, the kingdom of God is like a, like a man, a husbandman, a man who owns a, a field. He owns. He owns it. He's not written it. He owns it. Jesus owns the earth, the fullness thereof. The old preacher used to say, Jesus owns the cattle on a thousand hills and all the taters under the hill. That's why David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. Because when you're in proper relationship, you realize if he's the owner... Now, this, this is really cool. This, I'm a steward. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'm, I'm just giving you these because I could take these down and I could spend a long time on every one of these, but I don't have that time. I've just given them to you so you will do it. Hopefully, you're studying and you're studying the, the, what I'm telling you and trying to share with you. So if God, if Jesus is the owner, the maximum authority, he owns it all, I am the steward of it all. Now, what is a steward? The Bible teaches us that we are stewards of the grace of God. What a steward is, is a manager. See, Adam, when Adam was created, what was Adam created for? To manage the earth. And, of course, he forfeited it when he, when he gave in to the, to the enemy, and, and he, he failed in his stewardship. But that's where Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, it's required it. It's required <laughs> It's required 
I'm trying to get in a hurry. It's required. I'm just going to, can I just slow down? It is required in a steward that a man be found faithful. See, notice he didn't say it's required in a steward that a man be fine talented. Because you know what? I'll trade faithfulness for talent any day of the week. Because I've seen some really talented people whose gifts are dying on the vine because they're not faithful. Oh, he's so gifted. Yeah, but that's not the question. Is he faithful? Well, I'm trying, and I post all the right memes. <laughs> I work really hard to find those. Are you faithful? Are you faithful? You don't have to be faithful in, in many things either. You have to be faithful in a few. God's not trying to run us ragged. He just wants us to surrender and be faithful. The primary message of the kingdom is how Jesus is going to rule the earth from heaven. Now listen to this. How he's going to rule the earth from heaven. Jesus is, where is Jesus today? He's seated on the right hand of the Father. What is Jesus doing today? He's praying for you. Oh, God, please help them get this. <laughs> Father, please open their eyes. Please don't let them be deluded and think that this, all this religiosity is the substitute for kingdom rule and reign. God, the, the, everything is right there for them. I have paid for it all. I bought it with my blood. I secured it with my sacrifice. And I am praying and interceding for them so that I can manage the earth from heaven through them. Amen. See, the devil sold some of you a bill of goods. Y'all think I'm, I'm nothing. You know, when you got this false humility going, I, trust me, I, I'm, <laughs> I know at our best, we're human. I know we have failings and I know we have weaknesses. But this is the beauty of the kingdom message, that God would show the excellency of his power through common vessels, so that it would never be about you. Oh, that Paul, he just, he's so wonderful. Listen, if you encounter us and you walk away thinking about us, we have failed. I just love that pastor. He just, he's just so amazing. <laughs> and yet we don't pay homage to Jesus. Because t trust me, I don't care who that pastor is. He couldn't even tie his shoes if Jesus didn't help him. And so, listen. Who's going to rule the, who's going to actually rule then on the earth? The kingdom of God subjects, the, 
the, the, the, the people who have surrendered to the lordship of Christ. See, that's the problem too. If you don't have the right perspective, you will think that Jesus is here for you. But if you have the kingdom perspective, you realize I'm here for him. And this is the difference because a lot of people are building their kingdom and not his. <laughs> and so what the kingdom is all about is the colonization. You should write that down, colonization. Here again, this is a lost concept because we don't know anything about colonies anymore. Do you realize America at one time was a colony? What was a colony? We were, we were from uh, England or, you know, Great Britain, that whole thing. And, and, when the, and when the United States was began, we were began as a colony. So it was the colonization of the United States, which it wasn't called the United States then. It was the... It was, the, it, was, uh, it was a colony of England. Then there was 13 colonies. And then those colonies got the idea, shoot, we don't need England. Let's throw these guys out. You with me? So, but what did the colonies, if you walked into a colony in, in the east coast of, 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 of our country back in the, you know, 1600s on through, so the 1700s, as, as, as the country began, began to be colonized, what, it, what did it look like? It looked like England transplanted here. Je can, I, can I just tell you, Jesus is colonizing the earth? I don't care who's sitting on the throne of the earthly rule. I don't care what his name is or her name. I don't care what the nation's name is. Jesus is colonizing the nations of the earth. All the nations belong to God. And so there's a kingdom revolution coming. So go to Luke 8. I'm going to quit when I get done with this. Give me a few minutes. Will you give me a few minutes? Oh, we're good. We're, oh, we're good. And in, in this colonization, there's, there's, there's then this, this revolution that's coming. And I want you, to, want you to think about this with me. And it's the kingdom revolution is how God calls the unqualified. And I put that word in parentheses because, you know, we think that what God needs is he needs some really qualified people. But what God does is he calls the unqualified so look at Luke 8 with me. I, I, when I studied this this week, this just made me shout. I'm telling you. And I'm like, this is so awesome. I, I've been reading these verses my whole life. And it's like they, now when I'm looking at them through the kingdom glasses, it's like, this is amazing. So it says in Luke 8.1, and this is out of the Passion Translation, I think. It says, soon afterward, Jesus began a ministry tour throughout the country. So Jesus wasn't sitting still. He was going out. You with me? And so he goes throughout the country, throughout the territory, visiting cities and villages to announce the wonderful news of God's kingdom realm. 
That's a good thing. This is what we should be doing. We should be going out into this region and saying, hey, I got good news for you. Jesus is Lord over this place. Got really good news for you. You see this chaos and this confusion? Jesus is going to step in here and he's going to drive it all out. He's going to bring you to, 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 to kingdom rule, kingdom reign. And you're going to find kingdom peace and kingdom power and kingdom righteousness. And the best part of it too is kingdom joy. Because the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Not just joy, it's joy in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Hallelujah. Come on now. You see, most, most, most Christianity is, people, y'all are so sour sometimes. You know, I don't know why people don't ask me more about my faith, because they're scared. He goes, so he said, I can't, I can't get sidetracked. Visiting cities and villages to announce the wonderful news of God's kingdom realm. That's just the glad tidings of the gospel in the King James. Now listen to this. His 12 disciples traveled with him. So Jesus was Lord, but see, Jesus wasn't on this on his own. He wasn't on some, you know, he wasn't some lone wolf on some lone mission. He had, who were these 12 disciples? Who are they? A bunch of misfits. When the, when, the, when the priests saw him in Acts, they go, who are these ignorant men? <laughs> I've been, you know, I got introduced one time. I was doing some prison work down in, uh, at a big facility in, down in central Indiana. And I mean, everybody in this room had like letters behind their names, you know, like MDiv. And they're going, here's Dr. So-and-so, and here's Dr. So-and-so. And I, because I've been preaching in prisons uh, you know, in Indiana State and Westville, mainly is all, and I, I was in Lake County as a chaplain for 12 years, and, and, but I, and, and I don't even know for sure how I got in this room. I don't really, honestly, I, because somehow I got invited. They were, and, and, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm going, wow, this is Dr. Smith and, and, and the right reverend so-and-so, and then they go, uh, what, what, are you, what are you exactly? I go, and I go, I'm Mike Hendon. I'm just a preacher. And I've been preaching for 30 years in the prisons. And as the thing, I, I, I realized I felt so out of place in this room. But see, I didn't go to prison to sit with doctors and lawyers and men of renown. See, I don't think Jesus was, I don't think Jesus is all impressed with all the things that we're impressed with. And so Jesus didn't go about and pick this doctor of the law and this scribe and this Pharisee. He went and picked Peter, a guy who could, he, he was a phenomenon. He could open his mouth and put both feet in it. He picked Thomas, who had a real faith problem sometimes because Thomas was a doubter. He picked James and John, who were sons of thunder, who had a bad temper. And anytime they got stirred up, they were going to call fire down from heaven. He picked Matthew, who was a 
tax collector and a cheat. And he was not respected because he sold his people out. Can I go? You with me? And Jesus picks all these guys and he says, we're going on a world tour right now, which to them, it was the known world. We're going on a world tour and I'm, I'm taking you guys with me. And they're looking around going, who, what? We're going where? We're going to do what? And he said, come on. And the 12 traveled with him. I just want you to know that you're in a good place today if you don't feel very qualified, if you don't feel like you're up to the task, you're in a really good place and you're in a really good time because this is the age when Jesus is calling people out of the pit and going to put them in a palace so he can show the greatness of our God. So there's a revolution brewing here. There's a revolution brewing here. Let me go quick. Let me go. So Jesus revolutionized the world by revolutionizing people. This is verse 2, next verse. Also a number of women. See, this is where Jesus broke with tradition. Yeah, he had those 12 what? Men. Come on, you women. You got to get with me here. He had those 12 men. But then Jesus was about to set something new for the kingdom, new for his work, because it says here, a number of women. So there's more than one. A number of women who had been healed. What are these women doing? They're breaking with tradition because now they're traveling with Jesus. It didn't happen in that culture. Come on, church. Let me tell you something too, it's time for the church to wake up and put women in their proper place. And it's time we acknowledge women with the same gifts, same callings, and same capabilities that men do, and get women off the back row and get them on the front where they belong. Let me read. I could preach that one too. Because Jesus led the the first woman's liberation movement. And it was a good thing. Also a number of women who had been healed of many illnesses under his ministry. The word illnesses there is the word for infirmity, weakness. Man. And he's set free from demonic power. Because we know one thing for sure, if women need anything, they need to get the devil cast out of them. Oh, that went over like a rat sandwich. Paul, you missed it right there. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Jesus had cast out seven demons from one woman. Her name was Mary Magdalene, for she was from a village of Magdala. You see this picture? Jesus has 12 unqualified men and then a bunch of women who had been radically transformed by Jesus. Women who demons had come out of them, afflictions had come out of them, uh, uh, all kinds of uh, illnesses and weakness and infirmities had come out of them. Their lives had been completely transformed and they're traveling with Jesus. This is a good traveling crew right here. This is a traveling band right here. Okay. Jesus put up. 
all on level ground. Now listen to this. Among the women were Susanna and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, who managed King Herod's household. So this Susanna and Joanna, they were married, or uh, among them was Joanna, the wife of Chusa. Who was Chusa? He was like the second in command of that territory. Are you with me? Now get this picture. You had women who had had demons cast out of them, healed, delivered, set free. Then you got a woman of social, st of social standing, if we could say so, who had been touched by Jesus as well. Because let me tell you something, I don't care what, how much money you make, I don't care your pedigree and your education and all the things that are behind you on your name and how, how high and falutin you might be, that when it comes to the cross, we're all standing on level ground. Because the rich person needs Jesus just like the poor person. The president's wife needs Jesus just like the president's subjects. You with me? You get the picture here? They managed King Herod's household. And many other women who supported Jesus' ministry from their own personal finances also traveled with him. Do you get this? So it doesn't exactly say how many women. It does call out 12 disciples and then a group of women who are, in the, who are in this traveling group and who are there for Jesus, with Jesus, and they're bringing the colonization of the kingdom of God to earth as Jesus traveled throughout the territory. I want, I want everybody to stand with me. I think this is a good place. There's, you see, I, I got some really, 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 really good news for you. That Jesus wants you to join his traveling band. <laughs> Notice, his band travels. Because his, his band goes to where the need is. And you say, but I don't feel qualified, and I don't feel fit, and I don't know that I could do anything. I'm here to tell you today that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And the good news is today, Jesus is calling. What a perfect song. They couldn't have picked a better song this morning. I didn't ask him to sing that song. We don't even talk. They just come up and they, they do this all the time. It's like somebody's over my shoulder going, Let's, yeah, that, will go, that song will go really good. Come to the altar. Come. Come. Come to the altar. And it's not just about a literal altar. It's come to the place of surrender. Why? Because Jesus is calling. He's calling. He's calling. See, whether or not you come or not, it doesn't matter. You've been called. I'm, I, I beg you. To come to Jesus today. Because some of you have been like really 
frustrated, and you are really at your wit's end. And it's, and it's for no other reason than you're, you're going the wrong direction. You're running from the very one who's trying to help you. Are you with me? So bow your heads. Jay, would you just sing that over us while well, we just quietly, we, we, have, we have, it's only 1130 or so. I don't know how I quit this quick, but it's good because God's in this. Jay's going to sing this over us. I want you to hear the shepherd, the king, the Lord. He's calling you. He owns he owns everything around you. He owns everything about you. He owns the full rights to you because he created you in his image. It's not unreasonable for him to ask you to come because he's Lord. Thank you for listening to the City Point Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at citypoint.tv or our Facebook page, City Point Church.